Hello, and welcome to Moving Markets by Julius Baer. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Good morning. My name is Helen Freer. I'm an investment writer at Julius Baer in Zurich. And I'll start us off this morning with an overview of the latest market news. Let's start with equity markets in the US then, where the Nasdaq Composite, which was weighed down by falling semiconductor stocks, finished the day down 0.3%. But after dropping earlier in the day, both the Dow Jones and the S&P 500 ended four days of losses and closed in the green. The S&P gained 0.3% over the day, where eight of the 11 sectors posted a positive return. The biggest outperformers in terms of sectors were healthcare and utilities, energy was by far the biggest detractor from returns. In Europe, the major markets all closed in the red yesterday. In fact, all lost more than 1%. The Eurostox 50 ended the day down 1.7%, and the biggest faller among the major indices was the OMX 30 index, which lost 2.3% over the day. In fixed income, the global bond sell-off means they've now fallen into their first bear market for a generation. The Bloomberg Global Aggregate Total Return Index of government and investment-grade corporate bonds is now more than 20% lower than its 2021 peak, and this is actually its biggest drawdown since inception of the index in 1990. The US 2- and 10-year Treasury yields both rose for a fifth day yesterday, ending up one basis point. And in overnight trading in the US, both are slightly up again, with the two-year yield at 3.51% and the 10-year yield at 3.26%. In currencies, the US dollar has moved to a record high as investors await a key US jobs report, from which they will assess the expected path of future rate hikes from the Federal Reserve. And the Japanese yen fell yesterday past the psychologically important level of 140 per dollar, And this was the first time it was this low for almost a quarter of a century. Since the yen's high versus the dollar in 2011, it has now lost more than 46% of its value. A key reason for the fall being that the central banks in the US and Japan are just not aligned. So the divergence between US and Japanese monetary policy is widening. Let's move on to commodities and oil prices have climbed this morning ahead of the OPEC plus meeting where Saudi Arabia might push for a cut in output. Although for the week oil is on track for a considerable decline as the outlook for weak global growth has weighed on the market. And in the UK, the Conservative Party leadership contest between Liz Truss and Rishi Sunak comes to an end today with voting closing this afternoon. The result will be announced on Monday. In terms of economic data today, Germany's trade balance figures have just been published. They showed a 2.1% fall in exports and a 1.5% fall in imports in July. And unemployment data from Spain and Norway and Eurozone PPI figures are all due out later this morning. Then later in the US, we will get the keenly awaited jobs report for August that I mentioned earlier. This will give us more information about the state of the economy. And if we get a solid number here, that could worry investors who are concerned about further aggressive rate hikes from the Fed. In Asia, stocks are down so far today. When I looked a few minutes ago, the Hang Seng had lost 1.2%. The CSI 300 was down 0.7%. And the Nikkei had lost 0.2%. And futures were down in the US, but up in Europe. So that's all from me today, but I will hand over now to Tim, who's going to share his thoughts on currencies with us. Thank you, Helen. Good morning. 
Now, this week, it was the turn of the pound to get absolutely hammered, and not in a fun way. Cable plummeted to 115, and euro sterling even jumped 200 pips since last Friday. Despite the euro clinging on, the dollar index indeed hit a 20-year high, knocking on the door of 110 as the yen was washed out yet again. It's hard to argue against the relentless strength of the dollar, although I will keep tentatively trying because I am a contrary so-and-so, but I do find it less obvious to understand why euro sterling should be on the highs. The ECB are talking, I suppose, about more aggressive tightening, while the Bank of England have been quieter, but the energy situation is very challenging in Europe as well as the UK, and I don't really see the central banks taking a different path one from the other. I did have an amusing conversation with an Italian client yesterday, who in response to my observations on Euro and Sterling said, have you listened to Liz Truss speak? I don't really have a good response to that. She is not really my first choice as leader, but I would still look to take advantage of a higher Euro Sterling to shift some Euro cash into pounds, ideally via a reverse convertible where we can get really interesting yields. Next week, we start up again with the central bank rounds. The ECB kicks things off on Thursday. We're getting closer to 75 basis points priced in. Thursday is also my 15-year wedding anniversary, so hopefully Lagarde will bear that in mind and give us a decent gift. The week after is the Bank of England, where a similar amount of action is priced in. And the week after that is, of course, the Fed. Once again, we are also looking at around 75 basis points, a little bit less, um, as per the market. All three meetings are definitely live, are definitely uncertain, so September could be a lively month. I am still mainly inclined to continue to use dollar strength to reduce exposure for those that haven't already, and I would not chase these moves down the other way, even bearing in mind Julius Baer's latest three-month forecasts of 0.95 for euro dollar and 109 for cable, respectively. I think these moves will be hard to capture if they happen, and I think patience is a better option. Metals were also crushed this week. Gold dipped briefly below 1700 which was my theoretical level to maybe start thinking about buying. I am still really unconvinced about gold, though. But I guess you could argue there is a sort of double bottom potentially forming on the chart. So if you like that sort of thing, then a tentative long could be worth a go. I would still rather look at reverse convertibles options or maybe even an accumulator in order to improve the entry price and maybe generate some yield. I still favour platinum out of the metals, although it has also really struggled this week. But excellent levels again in derivatives need to be careful not to overload for investors that are already exposed but if you're not i think this is a great level to start on farm payrolls today this used to be the main event but i think we have shifted so strongly to inflation as against employment as the uh, the main barometer that i suspect it will not be all that exciting nonetheless with wednesday's adp number quite a bit below expectations we could perhaps have a surprise and a very low number could maybe uh, shift uh, what's priced in for the fed and create a bit of volatility, but I would think anything within 100, 150k of expectation will probably be a snooze. With that, I wish you a happy Friday, an excellent weekend, and back to you, Helen. Thank you very much, Tim. Now, Sipo, let's move on to you now for your update on digital assets. Thank you, and good morning from my side as well. Just a quick update um, on what is driving markets in recent days. Now, following the hawkish comments last week from the US Fed Chairman Powell at the Jackson Hole Symposium about interest rates staying higher for longer, a wave of sort of risk aversion also swept across digital assets. And the total market capitalization of the asset class fell back below the USD 1 trillion mark, with Bitcoin breaking below the sort of psychologically important threshold of 20,000 US dollars in the immediate response to the comments. Now, even though the asset recovered back to being slightly above the 20,000 mark and is trading at levels close to the lows of the recent stablecoin shakedown, um, you know, we've also seen Ethereum, which is the leading infrastructure network for developers of decentralized applications, 
which, you know, as many will be aware, has really been a sort of beneficiary of the improved investor sentiment in recent weeks in anticipation of the upcoming merge, which is essentially the network transitioning from the energy-intensive proof-of-work consensus mechanism to the more sort of energy-efficient and lower-fee proof-of-stake consensus mechanism. Now, that's anticipated to take place mid midway this month, and we think that investors are still really focused on that. Now, despite investors becoming incrementally more positive against this backdrop, you know, Ethereum was not immune to the top-down driven um, sell-off following the comments from the Fed, which saw it falling below the key support level of $1,500, um, which, you know, while this is not near the lows we've seen in the recent crypto crisis, the broad-based drawdown in the digital asset market really underpins our view that, you know, top-down macroeconomic headwinds remain very much in the driving seat when compared to bottom-up crypto-specific factors. Now, that being said, you know, cross-crypto correlations have remained elevated in recent weeks, demonstrating that, you know, the macroeconomic dominance, as well as the fact that investors still view digital assets as one high-risk asset class without necessarily differentiating between the value propositions of different networks. That's all from my side. I'll hand back to you. Thank you very much, Sipo. And that concludes today's episode of the Moving Markets podcast. Thank you very much to all of the speakers and thank you all for tuning in. I wish you all a great day and a great weekend and I hope that you'll join us again next week. Bye for now. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. Please refer to www.juliasbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further other important legal information.